the letter of Ephesians. Remember, how many chapters do you have? Six chapters. How many sections? Divisions, two. The first section, verse, uh, first division, uh, chapters one, two, and three, you can call that our what? See, we, we, we lost it already. Come on, class, what is it? Our doctrine. And the second half, four, five, and six, we call that our duty. Okay, give me another letter that, may, that is also parallel to that. The first half is our things that we belie- believe, yeah, our beliefs, and then how we behave, behavior, okay? Doctrine, duty, beliefs, and uh, behavior, all right? So last Sunday, we looked at chapter four. We started this, this next section of Ephesians, which is the, the, the duty side, the behavior side of the letter, and we looked at verses one through six, chapter four, verses one through six, and we learn about our duty to do what? What's our first duty according to Apostle Paul? Yes, Nicholas. Preserve the unity that God's given us in our relationships, okay? Particularly our relationships with other believers. He says, I want you to preserve that. God gave it to you, so your duty is to preserve it, to guard it, to maintain it. And remember the, the, the essential traits that preserve the unity that you enjoy with your fellow Christians in your relationships? What were they? You guys remember? What's the first one? If you want to preserve the unity that you have with your friends, with your Christian friends, you need to be number one. And if you're the opposite, it actually destroys the unity that you have. You lose friends. You get, you know, parents get divorced. Uh, churches split. If it's the opposite of this, humility, right? That's the number one essential trait, Paul says. If you want to preserve the, the unity that God's given you in your relationships, first you need to be humble. Second, you need to be what? The second essential trait. Yes, Rachel. Gentle, right? If you're harsh, you're not going to have any friends, right? If you're harsh, your, your siblings are not going to want to hang out with you. If you're harsh, you're going to have... Um, hard time connecting with your parents. Number three, what was number three? Humility, gentleness, yes, patience. patience. You need to be patient with all kinds of people. And then lastly, number four, the last essential trait for preserving the unity that we have, the literal uh, definition of this word is to put up with people. Yes, Haven. Forbearance. Yeah, to tolerate, to forbear people. Well, this morning we're going to learn about our next duty, and it's regarding our spiritual gifts. Okay, it's interesting how Paul goes from from unity, preserving the unity that we have, and then now he moves on to spiritual gifts. Okay, so follow as I read chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. 7 through 10. Starting in verse 7, Paul writes this, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? 
He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. So, this morning, I want to walk you through four introductory lessons on spiritual gifts. And I say introductory because Paul doesn't really get too in-depth when it comes to the spiritual gifts here like he does in other passages. What are other passages that talk about spiritual gifts, if you guys know? There are four major ones. Give me, give me one. 1 Corinthians 12. 12, okay, 1 Corinthians 12. So we have Ephesians 4 right here, 1 Corinthians 12. We have two more. The other one also is in chapter 4, like Ephesians 4, and the other one is also in chapter 12, like 1 Corinthians 12. So that kind of gives you uh, a pattern there. Yes, Rachel, give me one. 1 Peter 4, and then, Jack, Romans 12. Okay, 12, 12, 4, 4. Okay, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Those are your four... Uh, major passages that talk about or that teach about spiritual gifts. Here, it's more of introductory, more basic, more overview. That's why I'm calling this introductory lessons on spiritual gifts. We're not really going to dive in into spiritual gifts. I'll give you some, some introductory lessons, but we're not going to do you know part two and part three and part four. Um, there are other resources that I'll, I can point you to if you want to go deeper when it comes to spiritual gifts. Now, before we look at our first point, how would you guys define spiritual gifts? What is a spiritual gift? Yes. A little louder, please. Something that we get when we become a Christian. Good, good. Nicholas. Okay, something that you get and then you add that is meant for building up the church. Good, you guys, you guys got it. You have, you have, the, you have the, uh, the two important aspects of a spiritual gift. So look at your handout. Okay, fill in the blanks. Here's the definition. I try to, I try to make it simple, uh, synthesize it, but really capture those two, uh, two parts, two important, important parts. A spiritual gift is a special, what do you guys think? Trait, talent, attribute, attribute. getting closer, warmer, yes, gift, duty, ability. Okay, let's put down ability. Okay, a spiritual gift is a special ability, something that you can do, that you're able to do, given by God. Okay, not your parents, you know, just because your mom's a violin player and you're good at violin is not a, necessarily a spiritual gift. Okay, it's given by God to meet specific, what do you guys think? Needs. needs, good job, needs. Okay, spiritual gifts are abilities given by God to meet needs, specific needs for the building up, like Nicholas already said, of the homeschool co-op of apologia, of, uh, of the hunting group that you're part of. No. Of what? Of the church. Okay, of the church. A spiritual gift is a special ability given by God to meet specific needs 
for the purpose of building up the church. So that's that's the, that's spiritual gift right there. Okay, whether you're in Ephesians four like we are this morning, or First Peter four, or Ephesians or, or uh, Romans twelve, First Corinthians twelve, when you come across that term spiritual gift, okay, in the New Testament, I want you guys to think about it that way. So that kind of cla- that kind of clears up all the confusion. You know, when you talk to your neighbor and they say, oh, yeah, we go to this church and we're using all of our gifts. And then they describe the gifts that they're using to you. And you're like, ah, that, that's confusing to me, right? And then a friend comes to you and she says, yeah, God's given me the gift of, of a beautiful voice. That's my spiritual gift. And you're like, I don't really see that in the Bible. That's confusing. So w- whether you're interacting with people who talk about spiritual gifts or you go to those four passages that teach about spiritual gifts, I want you guys to think that way, okay? This is talking about an ability, okay? A special ability given to me by God for the purpose of meeting the needs of people in the church so that they can be built up. That's a spiritual gift, okay? So here is the first lesson from Paul regarding spiritual gifts. Again, these are introductory lessons. Number one, spiritual gifts are given to each believer, or Christian, okay, given to each believer, to each Christian. And we're, we're going to uh, um, get a lot of these lessons, introductory lessons, mainly from verse 7. So we're going to cover 7, 8, 9, 10, but we're going to spend a little bit longer in verse 7 so that we can, we can do what? Unpack it. Okay, no, no one got that uh, reference. Um, it's so dense. Yeah, we're going we're to unpack verse 7 for a little bit. So spiritual gifts are given to each believer, believer verse 7, but to each what? What does Paul say? To each one. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Paul tells us right away that every single Christian has one or more. Okay, so at, le- at least one can be more spiritual gifts. This is very clear in the Bible. All of the other passages that talk about spiritual gifts, like I mentioned to you, they all say that every single Christian, each one, okay, has a spiritual gift. Okay, listen, listen to those passages as I read them to you. You don't have to turn there. You can write them down if you want. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, but to each one, Okay, each Christian, each believer is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Here's another passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. Paul there says, but, to, uh, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, talking about spiritual gifts, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And then a third passage that talks about this, this same uh, idea of each one. 1 Peter 4.10, different author, not Paul. Peter says there, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So here's the first point by Paul, first introductory lesson. If you're a Christian, Paul says that you have one or more spiritual gifts. Okay, you have one or more special ability that God gave you when he saved you so that you can use it to meet needs, so that you can build up the church, so that you can edify people in the church. 
Okay, now, this is important to, to know, okay, this, personally for me, this was a great reminder uh, to know that every single Christian has a spiritual gift, okay, that, that I have one, that I have at least one. And when I was studying this, it was, it was encouraging to me to, to know because sometimes, I don't know about you, uh, but sometimes I feel like my gifts are not important, okay, or, or, my, um, or that I'm not good at them. Okay? or that I'm not really needed in the church. Sometimes I feel that way, even though I'm up front every Sunday morning. Sometimes I can believe that lie that, okay, I'm not really that good at that gift. Your gift is not really that important, therefore you're not really needed. It's kind of like the third stringer NBA player, right? In the NBA, you have like third stringer, fourth stringer, fifth, str- fifth stringer. He's on the team, Okay, that third stringer is on the team. But sometimes he doesn't feel important. Okay, doesn't think that he's useful and he doesn't think that he's contributing to the team that much. Right, they only put third stringers in the NBA when they're either 30 points ahead. Yeah, yeah, it's your turn. Oh, yeah, ready, right? Or 30 points behind. Okay, you, you're in. Okay, I guess I'm in, right? At the, at the end of the game, it doesn't really matter. You know, they already won or they already lost, right? They just need, you know, a third stringer to fill in the gaps for the next, you know, five minutes. And that guy sometimes can feel like, well, yeah, I, I don't know if I really contributed it or not. You know, only get to play when, when it doesn't really matter. It's the same when I played tennis in high school. <laughs> um, when our team needed uh, another, another player for a doubles match, and the first stringer guy and the second stringer guy, they've already played their singles and they won their singles, right? And, and we have to come up with another uh, two people for, the, for this doubles match so they would put me in. And, you know, I'd get excited, but then after the match, I'd be like, I didn't really contribute. <laughs> you know, win or lose, it, wasn't, it didn't really count. You know, because those guys already won their matches. They just needed me for another doubles. And, I, you know, I guess I'd go. Whether, we, whether I win or lose doesn't really matter. Sometimes we can think that way, okay, feel that way when it comes to being a Christian and you know that God's given you a spiritual gift, whether you, whether you really know what that is or, or you kind of know what it is and you're trying to use it, practice it in the building up of other people in the church. Sometimes you can fall in that lie and believe that, ah, you know, I'm not, I'm not as good as that person. You know, I don't do it as good as that person. So what do I contribute? So this verse right here, specifically these first words by Paul, but to each one of, one of us is encouraging students because if you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. And in the church, okay, and in the church, it's not like NBA, it's not like tennis, okay? There is no such thing as second or third or fourth or fifth string Christian, okay? Everybody, all Christians in a church like our church, like this church or in this group like this group, Every single Christian has at least one gift, okay? Even if your gift matches the other person's gift, guess what? You're the same, okay? You may practice it differently, but no one is a second stringer. Your gift is just as important as the other person's gift. You are just as valuable as a Christian as the other Christian. Every single Christian matters. Every single gift is important, and everyone gets to contribute. And your contribution is equal is important. So 
that's the first very important lesson here about spiritual gifts. If you're a Christian, you have one, at least one. Okay? And you're not a second stringer. You're not a third stringer. Even if you're a teenager and you're trying to figure out your spiritual gifts and you, and you think you found one and you're trying to practice it, it doesn't mean that you're a second stringer because, you know, Mrs. So-and-so over here or Mr. So-and-so in here have the same gift. You're just as important. Number two, spiritual gifts are given by God's grace. Okay? They are given by God's grace. Still in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given. Okay, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. How, how would you guys define God's grace? What would be your simple definition of God's grace? Maybe your, maybe your friends you know, tell you or ask you a question, and you're like, yeah, it was by God's grace, man, it happened. Well, what do you mean? Yes, Jonathan. Getting something you don't deserve. Any other definitions? Any, any other thing that you want to add to that? That's simple that your, uh, your younger sibling can understand. So for, for your age, you probably understand this definition. God's unmerited favor. You guys understand that definition? Unmerited meaning you did not earn it or merit it. Right? Uh, real quick, guys. Phones away. All right. Open Bibles. Okay. So, so God's grace is unmerited favor. You don't have to look around. Uh, unmerited favor. So you didn't earn the favor that God has given you. Okay? But if, if you want to take it down to another more simple level, you can say that it's God's undeserved help. Okay, I think I think that's a little bit more simple. God's undeserved help. He, he he helped you in your exam, and then you said, "Oh yeah, it was God's grace." Well, what what do you mean? Well, you got the help that you needed that you didn't deserve because it's from God. Okay, you're going through through something that's difficult by God's grace. You got through it. That's God's help. Now, we receive and we experience God's grace in in four ways in, okay in four major ways if you uh, if, if you guys want to write these things down in four major ways Christians receive and experience God's grace number 1 we experience God's grace in our salvation salvation you can just put down salvation by God's grace he saved us from our sins okay he saved us from it, from our sins we didn't merit that we didn't earn that and from his wrath so so that's number one. Number two, we experience God's grace in our sanctification. Okay, I'll, just keep, I'll just keep the letter S so that it's easier to remember. Okay, sanctification. Uh, the way God helps us to become more like Jesus Christ. Okay, being more sanctified. Uh, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Becoming more and more um, holy. Becoming less and less like the world. That's sanctification. Guess what? The Bible says that it's by God's grace that you can do that. Here's the third way we experience God's grace today, we experience God's grace in our suffering. In our suffering. Think about it, students. By God's grace, He comforts you, okay, when you're going through a trial. Uh, maybe your dad is sick. Maybe your mom got in a car accident. Maybe your grandfather's diagnosed with something that's, that's really bad. Or maybe you didn't get into the college that you applied to. Or maybe, you, you know, you're 
coworkers don't like you because you're a Christian, right? All, all those types of suffering. You can, you, can, uh, you can go through those sufferings because God's grace comforts you and sustains you. Number four, we experience God's grace in our, what do you guys think? Another S. Salvation, sanctification, suffering, and then take it back to Ephesians 4. We experience God's grace in our spiritual gifts. Okay, spiritual gifts. Remember, that's the topic. Okay, that's the topic. I just want you guys to have a, a, a big picture of God's grace where, so that you can see it in your life all over the place. So we experience God's grace in our, in, in our spiritual gifts, and that's what Paul's referring to here when he says, to each one, so to each Christian, to each believer, grace, okay, unmerited favor, okay, undeserved help from God was given. He's telling us that God provides us his grace so that we can have the ability to use our gifts. Okay, apart from God's grace, apart from God's favor, apart from God's help, you wouldn't be able to use or practice that special ability, that's that, that spiritual gift. He, he gives us what we need in order to practice our spiritual gifts. He gives us the, you can say it this way, he gives us, God's grace gives us the desire. Okay, I think I really want to practice this spiritual gift of teaching or, or uh, help or uh, administration or uh, service. So he gives you the, God's grace gives you the ability, I mean the desire, and then he gives you the ability to do it. And you can even say the energy so that you can do it all the way through. That's all from God's grace. This too was uh, an encouragement to me this week. A married couple came to me a while back uh, for help. And um, when, when married couples come to me and they need help, what do you think they need help in? Yeah, their marriage, relationship, or parenting, right? Their relationship with their kids. This one happened to be uh, in their relationship as a couple, their marriage. So their marriage was falling apart, okay? They're, it was falling apart. They're about to divorce. So they, they came to me for help. So I met with them for several months, for a while, uh, every, other, every other week for a long time. And I took him to the Bible. You know, I... I, uh, I was able to practice my spiritual gift of teaching. I know I teach in a big group like this, but I'm, I can also teach in a smaller group like an individual or a couple. Uh, so, so that was the gift that was being used, was the gift of teaching. So I was able to take them to the Bible, walk them through passages. Then last month, the, uh, they're doing better, much better, by the way, today. But last month, the wife's parents wrote me this really genuine, heartfelt note. The parents of the mom, and, and, and the parents don't live here. They live somewhere else. So they were concerned about, about the merits of their kids, and they found out that they're getting help, and they found out that they're doing better, so they sent me a note. And I was, you know, I, 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 I was tearing up reading the note. Kind of, kind of the same way that I feel when you guys write me cards and notes after a camp or something, <laughs> right? Because I know that my spiritual gift is, is being used. So, so I, I read this note. It's not even from the couple. It's from the parents. And, and I, was, I was thinking to myself, man, the only way, okay, the only way I had the, the desire to use my spiritual gift, the ability to use my spiritual gift, and to have the energy, because, I mean, some, some weeks I'm like, oh, 
today is the meeting. I don't really, I don't really want I don't really I don't really want to. Um, you know, and then another meeting, and they're the same. You know, they're still arguing, or they still don't see God's word. Um, and I'd be like, okay, two weeks of rest, and then another. You know, so so I, w- I sometimes I didn't have the desire to do it. Sometimes I didn't have the the ability to do it. Sometimes I didn't have the the energy to do it. But I was able to be helpful. I was able to use my spiritual gift. Why? Because of God's grace. Okay? Again, God's grace is his unmerited favor, his, his, uh, his undeserved help. Okay, Roy Gustin, you have this gift. You know, you have this spiritual gift, gift of teaching. Now I'm gonna, I want to use you to teach this couple. Um, but you can only help them. You can only teach them if I give you my grace. And that's, that's what was happening. So this is very important, students, when you guys are thinking about your spiritual gift. And sometimes you don't want to do it. Sometimes you don't think you can do it. And then if the person keeps asking you to serve because that person knows that you have the gift of service and you need the energy to keep doing it, you need to remind yourself, okay, I, I can because of God's grace. Number three, spiritual gifts are given in various measure. In various measure. A variety of measure. It, it, they're, they're all different is the point. Okay, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given, here it is, according to the measure of Christ's gift. According to the measure of Christ's gift. So we finally get to, to the, the point, which is spiritual gift. That's what he's referring to at the end there, that word gift, that's referring to spiritual gift. So Paul's saying, Paul's point here is, is twofold. Okay, twofold. He's saying that Christ determined two things. Okay, number one, Christ is the one who determines what kind of gift you'll get. And secondly, Christ is the one who determines how effective you're going to be in the practice or in the use of that gift. Okay, let me illustrate that. Okay, let me illustrate that. Uh, let's say, let's say uh, Nicholas has the gift of service. You know, he likes, he, 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 he sees needs and he meets the needs. He has the desire, the ability, the energy to do it by God's grace. Okay? Now, let's say Nathan has the gift of administration. Okay? He, uh, he can plan events. He can organize events and make it happen. And, and it's like the best thing ever. Okay? Now, should, he, should Nathan be jealous of Nicholas's gift of uh, service? No. Why? Because Christ is the one who what? Determines what gift you get. Okay? It's according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, if they both have the gift of, of uh, let's say, uh, the gift of helps. Okay? They, they, they're just very helpful in, in all kinds of ways. Okay? They can help you with your homework. They can help you with moving. They can help you with all kinds of things. Uh, but let's say Nicholas doesn't get as many opportunities okay, as, as Nathan does. Should he get jealous of Nathan's opportunities, of helps? He shouldn't. Why? Because Christ determines the effectiveness also. Okay, so here are the two lessons I want you guys to get out of this statement. According to the measure of Christ's gift, number one, you, you can't be jealous. 
Okay, you and I cannot be jealous. This is the attitude, students, that says, oh, I wish I had a different gift than the one that I have. You know what that is? Jealousy. It's that attitude. I wish I had a different gift than the one that I had. Again, another il to illustrate the point, right? Um, Kim Williams, Julie Deacom, they have, I believe, the gift of administration. Okay, without... Without Kim, without Julie, we probably won't have any camps. Uh, may, maybe we would, but it, would be, uh, it wouldn't be as fun. It wouldn't be as smooth. It, would, it just wouldn't go well because it takes someone with the gift of that administration to really plan it and to really organize all those things and execute it. I, I don't think I, I, I can do some admin stuff, um, but I don't think it's my gift like they do. Okay, like, like those ladies. But should I be jealous? I shouldn't. Okay, I can't be jealous because Christ determines the kind of gift that we each receive. So that's the first lesson. Here's the second lesson. We can't be proud. We can't be proud. This is the attitude that says, I'm better at using my gift than that person. I'm better at using my gift than that person. Here's another illustration. Would it be okay for me to say that Pastor Scott and I both have the spiritual gift of teaching? Now, if you disagree, you, know, you can tell me later, but as a class, <laughs> do you believe that Pastor Scott and I both have the gift of teaching? Yes, right? If, if I say that we do, would I be wrong? No, I can say that, okay? Pastor Scott and I, we both have the gift of teaching. That's okay for me to say. That's okay for people to notice. Now, would it be okay for me to say that I'm the better teacher and that we should switch uh, spots? I should be there. He should be here. That wouldn't be okay. You're right. That wouldn't be okay. You know why? Because Pastor Scott has, even though he has the same gift as I do, but he has a different what? Effectiveness. Okay, remember... Christ determines the gift that you get, and he determines the effectiveness in the way that you use your gift. So he has different effectiveness. He's, he is the, the, the pastor, the teacher, who has greater effectiveness. That's why he gets to be in the main pulpit. Now, should I, should I, be, should I be jealous and should I be proud? No, because Christ determined that he and I will, would get the same spiritual gift, but he also determined that he and I don't have the same effectiveness. Does that, does that make sense? So spiritual gifts are given in various measure in that way. So you have a spiritual gift that he may not have, and, and you might have the same spiritual gift, but differ, differing effectiveness, different oppor opportunities. You can't be jealous and you can't be proud. Why? Because Christ is the one who determined all that. Lastly, number four, spiritual gifts are given by, what do you guys think? By Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ. Now, we'll, uh, we'll go through eight, nine, and ten pretty quickly here. Spiritual gifts are given by Jesus Christ, verses eight through ten. Verse eight. Therefore, it says, okay, that it here is referring to an Old Testament verse, specifically Psalm 68, verse 19. So Paul says, that's why, guys, or, or therefore, it says, the Old Testament says, that David said in Psalm 68, here's what it said, 
When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, if you, if you guys are familiar with Psalm 68, I don't know if that's your life verse, if you have it memorized, you're probably going to say, hold on, that's not what it says. That's not what it says, but Paul says, hey, it says. But if you go to Psalm 68, verse 19, it doesn't say that. It says something different. It talks about God, okay, when God ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he received gifts from men. That's what David said in Psalm 68. So, so is Paul wrong to say, hey, here's what it says, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really match? No, I don't think Paul's wrong. Um, Paul here is, is not quoting Psalm 68, 19 word for word. Okay, what he's doing is that he's using Psalm 68, 68 18 to liken Jesus Christ to what happened to God in Psalm 68. That's why, it's, that's why Paul says, when he, who is that in this context? Jesus Christ ascended on high. He, Jesus Christ, led captive a host of captives. And he, Jesus Christ, gave what? Gifts to men. So he's kind of saying, yeah, it's kind of like what David said in Psalm 68 when he talked about God, you know, having victory and he received gifts from people. It's kind of like that. Jesus Christ, when he ascended, when he was a, uh, a victorious warrior, he gave gifts to men. So Paul refers to it and uses it to describe Christ's victory over his enemies, mainly Satan, sin, and death. If you're looking at, okay, who, who did Jesus Christ beat? Who, 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 who was his enemy? His enemies were Satan, sin, and death. Now, when, when did Jesus Christ have that victory? On the cross, when he died on the cross and when he resurrected and when he ascended. And Paul, this, Paul explains that more. Look at verse 9, okay? Paul's going to explain how he's using Psalm 68 in, in verse 9 and in verse 10. Now this expression, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? That makes sense, right? Okay, for someone to ascend, that person first had to descend. Okay? For you to go up, you would have first gone down. Now, now notice what Paul's referring to. He, he is saying that, that before Jesus ascended into heaven, he first had to descend to earth. Now, notice that Paul says, into the lower parts of the earth. That's, that's kind of the, you know, the wrench, the monkey wrench that kind of confuses people. And like, oh, it would have been so much easier to follow the logic. Okay, before he ascended into heaven, he first had to descend into earth but then he had to add into the lower parts of the earth. Well, to clear up some, some uh, confusion here, I don't think, I strongly believe that Paul is not referring to hell when he said into the lower parts of the earth. Okay, He's not talking about hell because Jesus never went to hell. Okay, Remember, we studied that in 1 Peter. Uh, he never went to hell. He died. He went into the grave, right? And then he was resurrected three days later. And then after his, after his resurrection, where did he go? He ascended. He went into the heaven. So Paul is just saying, Jesus Christ, 
descended, descended into the lower parts of the earth, mainly his incarnation when he was born as a baby. That's the descension. And if you really want to take the lower parts of the earth, meaning into the earth, you can include his burial. He went into the earth, okay? And then what happened after that? He resurrected and then he ascended into heaven. So now you may be asking, okay, why, why say all that, Paul? Why explain his descension and then his ascension? Here's why. Look at verse 10. Here's why this is important. He who descended, that's Jesus Christ, is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens. Here it is. Here's the, the answer to that why question. So that Jesus Christ, he might fill all things. What is that referring to? That's talking about Jesus Christ becoming king when he ascended. Because when he ascended, he had victory over his enemies, right? Satan and sin and death, right? He resurrected, he ascended, and he sat next to God the Father, right? That's, that's an important position. So now he has, he has kingly rule. He has sovereign rule, right? He rules over all things. And guess what he gets with that? He gets the, the, you can call it the right. He gets the right to give gifts to people. He gets the right to give spiritual gifts to Christians. That's why he had to come down and go up. Because he needed to be this victorious king so that he can, just like God did in Psalm 68, can give gifts to people. Specifically, spiritual gifts to Christians. That's why. So it's Jesus Christ who gives gifts. You don't, you don't, uh, you know, you don't, it's not genetics. <laughs> it's not like, oh, my, my, my dad was a pastor, so I, I must have the gift of teaching. Well, you don't know that. It's Jesus Christ who gives it, not your dad. Oh, my, my grandmother was, you know, she went to this church for 40 years, and she was known as the, you know, the, the model servant. She had the gift of service. So I think I have it. Well, you don't know that. It's not your grandmother's right to give it. It's Jesus Christ. Now, students, you may be asking a very important and very practical question. Uh, how do I find out? <laughs> How do I find out what my spiritual gifts are? Okay, it is really good to know these introductory, introductory lessons. Okay, it's given to every single Christian, right? It is, um, it is given by God's grace. The, the measure is different. And also it's given by Jesus Christ. But if you're asking, okay, how do I go about this practically? Let me give you four. And, and I'll be quick. Okay, four ways you can find out it, what your spiritual gifts are. Number one, number one, you need to look to, what do you guys think? Do you like Google it? Spiritual gifts. Do you like go to another church who gives the, the test? Where do you go? Where do you look? What's that? The Bible. Yeah, yeah. You look, you look to Scripture or the Bible or God's Word. You need to know what kinds of spiritual gifts there are. And the only place where you can find them is in the Bible, okay? Those four passages that I gave you, 
you, I, I want you guys to read those passages. Remember, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Okay, if you want specific verses, here, here they are. You guys ready? If you want to write them. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. You can find the list of spiritual gifts there. Number 2, 1 Corinthians 12 verses 8 through 20, and then verses 28 through 30. And then third passage, Ephesians 4, 11. We'll get to that next week, Ephesians 4, 11. And then the last passage, passage is 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Did you guys get that? Anyone missed any of those references? Okay, so that's where you look, okay? If you are a Christian and you want to find out what your spiritual gifts are, that's the first step. You look to God's Word. Read those passages. Talk to your parents about those passages. Seek their guidance because there are some gifts that are no longer in operation, okay? So seek guidance from from them, but you need to find out that they're actually there in the Bible. Number two, look for passion. Look for passion. Because after looking at those passages and studying the different gifts that those passages list out, what you can do is you need to find out what you, uh, what you might be passionate about, okay? Something that you think you will really enjoy, something that you think you will really love, and something that you think you'll find satisfaction in. So you're looking at the list, right? looking at the list um, like this let's say let's say you even you have the gift of that administration right and you're like man I'm gonna put this in a nice uh, nice uh, PDF a word document so let's say it looks like this right you're looking at the list okay all those passages all the spiritual gifts from those passages you just need to figure out what you might be passionate about is it administration is it serving is it giving? Is it mercy? Is it faith? Is it discernment? Which one do I think I would be really passionate about, something that I would really love to do? And that's what you pick. Number three. Number three, look for relationships. Okay? Look for relationships. Remember, students, remember this, okay? The place where spiritual gifts are used is where? In the church. In the church specifically in the relationships that you have in the church because that's how you build up the church, okay? So whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, guess what? You still have to practice your spiritual gift. There's no excuse if you're an introvert or an extrovert, <laughs> okay? God has given you a church with brothers and sisters in Christ in that church and and you, you know what you get? Relationships, friendships. That's where you start. You practice your spiritual gifts in those relationships. And guess what? It'll be a lot easier because it's your friends. You have a relationship with them. And it'll be, and it'll be um, you know, a, lot, a lot better. You, you're not going to get judged. You know, pe they're going to help you. They're going to talk to you. So it starts there in the, in the relationships. And number four is the last one that you do. Look for effectiveness. Look for effectiveness. 
After some time, ask your friends and family if they see not only passion, but also effectiveness in the way you practice your spiritual gift. Because I can be, let's say, let's say uh, I just got here. Okay, so let's rewind, you know, seven years ago. I just got here. Uh, if you were here seven years ago, you probably felt this way, but I'm glad that, it, that you don't feel like that anymore, I hope. So rewind seven years ago. You know, I show up. You guys don't know me. You know, just because I look like a teacher, you kind of assume, oh, yeah, he has the gift of teaching, right? And I have all the passion, very passionate about teaching, right? Exhortation, right? Exposition. But, but after like a year, you're like, man, he's all about passion, but he's not what? Effective. <laughs> he's not effective. I'm more confused, right? I don't know what the Bible is saying now after listening to this guy, right? Uh, he's very passionate. I like it. You know, I don't fall asleep, but man, I have no idea what the Bible says. You know, I'm not being helped. I'm not being built up. So guess what? I don't have the gift of teaching. So yeah, you look for passion, number two, but also number four, you look for effectiveness. You want to make sure that you're actually building up other people. It doesn't mean that you build them up all the way up here in one day, but are you building them up slowly because you're using your spiritual gifts? So so that's, that's how you figure that out, students. Okay, I want to make sure that it's very simple for you because I believe we have, we have Christians in this room. And even if you're young, you might, again, believe that temptation that, well, you know, I'll figure out when I'm 28. You know, I'll figure out when I'm like my mom, you know, 39. Uh, no, no, because guess what? If you're saved now as an 18-year-old and you wait till you're 28, that's 10 years of not building up the church. That's 10 years of not building up your relationships and your friends. Again, if you're a Christian, Christ has given you a spiritual gift. He's given you the grace to do it, okay? And it's your duty to find out what yours is so you can use it to build up other people in the church. Any questions before we close in prayer about spiritual gifts? All right. Well, quick comment since, uh, let me see. Okay, they're not here. It's the best way to plug this in. So today is uh, Exp the Exposer Seminary Sunday. Okay, so you guys know we have a campus, the Exposer Seminary here at church. And we are training men to teach, right? So that's a spiritual gift, right? So in our ministry here, you know, uh, Jordan graduated Recently, he's not here, he's actually teaching at another church in Sun City. And uh, Chris Ray is not here, he's downstairs teaching an adult Sunday school class. So, if you're looking at my, my, uh, my outline there, the last one, look for effectiveness, okay? For Jordan, for Chris, even for me, or anyone who teaches here, like Hudson and Mike and James, all those guys, it'd be helpful if you guys give us feedback, of the use, of our use of our spiritual gift of teaching. If you're asking, well, how, that's kind of awkward, you know, to go to, uh, to you or to go to somebody else and say, hey, let me, uh, let me rate your effectiveness <laughs> or your passion. Um, but here's, here's how you can do it, okay? You look for, I call this, the, you know, if somebody taught here and if he did a good job, I'd say, man, he aced it. So A-C-E, okay, you look for A-C-E. 
A is for accuracy. So you can say, hey, Chris, Mr. Ray, that was so clear, so accurate. You know, it's right there. You look for accuracy. You look, and then, and then B, I'm sorry, not B. How do you, C. <laughs> C, you look for clarity. It's clear. Okay, I'm not confused anymore. Okay, I didn't know what it meant. Now I know what it, what it means. So you look for clarity. And then E, you look for edification. Again, the purpose of spiritual gift is to edify or to build up. You can say, man, I was really encouraged. I was really built up. I was really helped by your teaching. So when you see that, A-C-E, you tell the teacher. You tell Pastor Scott. You tell anyone who teaches you. Okay, because that's what we all need when it comes to our practice of spiritual gifts. Okay, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the grace that gave us spiritual gifts through Christ. And also thank you that we have spiritual gifts so that we can use them for the building up of other people, not the building up of ourselves, not to make us look better. It's for the church. It's for our friends and families. I pray, Father, for the students here who have not experienced your grace in salvation, that they have not repented of their sin. They have not uh, put their trust in Jesus Christ, so they really have no idea uh, if they have spiritual gift or not because they're not even saved. I pray that you would work in their hearts. I pray that you would give them your grace in salvation and, uh, and guide them. Thank you for passages like this that really help us, point us to the right direction. I pray that it was helpful to these students and that they would put this into practice and that you would bless their efforts. We love you. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.